welcome to the Move Daily Health Podcast, where we share information to empower you to be your own health hero. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Move Daily Health Podcast. I'm Dane Wallace here again with Freya Spence. And today we welcome to the show Emma Masters and Kyle Riley to discuss the topic of epigenetics and personalized health. Emma is a global educator with 11 years experience in the health and fitness industry. She has worked across a multitude of senior management roles, including group exercise manager for Virgin Active Australia UK and training development for Virgin Active's boutique products. Emma's mission is to facilitate human connection so that every single person has the tools to achieve their highest potential in business and life itself. Kyle started in the fitness industry in 2010 with a degree in exercise science and has since traveled the world speaking, educating, and implementing personalized health principles with a passion to change the paradigm within the fitness industry. Kyle has had the opportunity to learn from some of the world's leading experts in the fields of epigenetics and holistic health and played a role in helping thousands of people improve their health and quality of life in his time working as a personal trainer and lifestyle coach. He has taught hundreds of health and fitness professionals working alongside the Australian Institute of Fitness and continues to do so through his own professional development course in epigenetics and personalized health with PH360. Emma and Kyle, welcome to the Move Daily Health Podcast. Hi. Thanks for having us on. (laughs) Within your intros, we'd uh, love to hear a little bit more about current projects and how you're personalizing health. But before we go into that... Can you tell us what are epigenetics and how can they help us personalize health for our clients? I'll open that one up soon as that's the the area that I've been working in for the last five or so years. Uh, So epigenetics is all about understanding how the environment influences gene expression. So it's not just looking at the genes themselves. It's not just saying, you know, here's the blueprint of of how your, you know, your body's created, but it's, it's how the genes express based on your nutrition, your exercise, your stress management, your sleep cycles, how even your indoor spaces, your outdoor places, so the environment outside, how all of the environment is actually influencing what genes switch on and off. Very simple stuff. (laughs) Yeah, really simple stuff, but very empowering stuff. And the thing I really like about it is it gives us control over our health. Now, I might be a bit of a control freak, um, but one of my biggest missions when I first got involved in this industry was to empower people in taking control of their health and knowing that there there is an answer. Uh, I was very frustrated when I first started in the industry working with people to see some people get amazing results, other people not change at all, following similar methodologies, following the best science at the time, the best research that had been given. And that kind of state of victimhood coming in place of, you know, well, it must be my body or there's nothing I can do. I was kind of, I was the practitioner that always said, well, surely there's something that I'm missing. Surely there's something that I don't quite understand about this person in front of me and what can I do to find the answer? And that's kind of what, what's led me to the point that I'm, um, to the education that I'm creating now and the direction that I've kind of gone in. It's great to see more of that coming about because as more and more genetic testing becomes available, we're seeing more people get a little bit afraid of like, quote unquote, dirty genes or uh, SNPs or poor methylation or poor detoxification. And it can feel very much out of their control until you then bring into light the epigenetic factors. And it's like your community and the air you breathe and your house and your Wi-Fi and things that they can readily uh, manipulate if they wish. 
Yeah, I think there's a lot of people think a lot of things are just like, oh, it's my fault. I must be doing something wrong. Like it's a character flaw that I have. And I think that anybody who's been a personal trainer has seen some people just thrive completely with one plan and give it to the other person. And it's just totally the opposite. So with what you guys are doing at PH360, it's basically just to kind of give people more control over this type of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, so it's all about, we like to say, it's, it's, it's about reconnecting with your body. If we find, obviously, in this day and age, people are so stressed, so busy, they're running from pillar to post trying to, you know, work and look after a family and whatever it might be. And then when it comes to finally taking a breath and saying, right, I want to get my health back on track, what is it I need to do to get healthy? They'll, they'll then log online, go onto Dr. Google and find 5,000 different types of diets, the leading experts, the leading Instagram influencers, you know, you'll have the the vegan expert, you'll have the paleo expert, you'll have the keto expert, and all of them have got their ways, all of them have got their methodologies, you know, a lot of them have got research to back themselves as well. But the issue is the messages are so confusing, confusing, so conflicting. So then the people that are already stressed, are now looking for answers for health, get even more stressed and even more confused and don't know where to begin. And this process, this program is all about clearing the confusion and saying, stop looking outside. Stop looking outside for the answers and actually look within, reconnect with who you are on an individual level and actually find out what lifestyle and environment is right for your body to get the results that you're looking for. And so often we do know, right? Like so often innately we do know what's good for us, but we've been ignoring it. Or as Kyle said, we're seeing so much conflicting information out there that you're then led to believe what you innately feels wrong. And what's beautiful and brilliant about the program is that it's like this permission slip to say actually what you've been feeling all along, it was in fact right. And, you know, as an example, and Kyle will probably go into things like this a bit more later, but chronobiology and, and knowing when in the day you should be doing things like if you should be getting up early and hustling or whether you're allowed to sleep in, there's this huge permission slip given to people that have felt that um, they didn't feel like getting up every morning super early and hustling and they wanted to lay in and take it easy, but they've been told or they've been branded that they're lazy and so that's one of the many amazing things about this program is that they're given this permission slip to be who they actually know that they've always been inside it's funny that actually came up at dinner with friends yesterday about just accepting one of them she's like I've accepted I'm not an early morning person and unfortunately a lot of the highlighted success stories in our society are the ones who are up early and grinding it out at 4 a.m but they're not highlighting all the people who actually succeed very very well as night owls because they're going with what their system requires um, with that said for both of you I assume you've applied some of the learnings to yourselves. And if if so, what have been some of the biggest changes you've seen to your own health since applying the system? Yeah, cool. I'll start and then Em, you can yeah. jump in. So I'm sure we'll go into, we'll probably go into a little bit more about how we assess and what it brings up later on. But the short version of that is there's six major health types that we will quantify uh, based on phenotype. And I come out of what, what we call the crusader. Um, and for me, actually, it wasn't the insights into the food or the exercise or any of that stuff that was um, that was revelationary for me. It was uh, it was it was more to do with how you use your mind. So what I learned for myself was how I prioritize my day based on chronobiology and based on um, my natural strength. So as a crusader, we need lots of why, lots of detail and a natural early bird. So getting up in the morning, doing some stretching, doing some breathing. And then the first thing to be doing was to prioritize the day 
plan the day, make sure we've got a checklist of things to do, and then go ahead and then work through that checklist in a really logical kind of sequential way. Now, Kyle, prior to running my own business and, you know, working as a PT, would try and keep everything in the head. And even a simple thing like just getting the to-do list at the start of the day, making sure I've got clear priorities and boundaries and things that I need to work through and having that to-do list to work through, I just found my productivity went through the roof. Um, and just to kind of add to that, it was knowing that I've got a tendency uh, based on my higher dopamine drive to work, 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 forget to drink water, forget to eat food, you know, forget to have social time and I'll just keep working through and knowing that that was actually built into me, shed more awareness on that. So I could actually make sure that I start to take time out uh, and not just work all the time and take a bit of time to smell the roses, so to speak. So yeah, it was quite interesting. Yeah. Those are some big realizations. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's super interesting. Cause I don't think mine was the diet or exercise stuff either. I mean, as health professionals, I'd like to think that we already have a, a good idea of what's good for us in that space. Although it's still uh, mind blowing when you see some of sometimes some of the foods that come up that aren't necessarily turning all of your good genes on are ones that you may have always been eating and thought was good for you. So it is still really, really interesting to delve into those sections. But for me, someone that's always um, been fascinated with human connection and how we walk this planet as humans and how we're all getting along, I think for me, the best part was the big section on how we're all so different in the ways that we communicate and connect. And so I, Kyle just spoke about the six types. I come up as a connector. Um, I'm nearly almost the opposite side of the wheel to Kyle. So we have many differences in that way. And so like working alongside Kyle or working alongside other people in my life, it's been really useful to see how we are all so different and how we need to receive information, how we need to receive praise, how we access information. So as a really easy um, example Kyle would want things in bullet point, logical fashion. I would like a bit more fluff and praise around anything in life in general. So um, it's been really great to understand how to communicate with each other in that way so that we can work more efficiently or get on more efficiently. And that goes for any kind of relationship in your life, whether it's your family, your friends, um, your colleagues, it really changes the game on on how you can communicate and connect with those people. Yeah, just to, just to add to that one, when Em and I work together now, it's really interesting Connectors are known for being a, a great visual processor. So they'll see things uh, that they're great at picking up facial expressions. And, you know, we call them the connector because they're high in oxytocin. They, they seek oxytocin uh, and they, they use the reciprocal lobes more. So uh, everything about their natural biology is built to create trust and rapport and connections with people. And one of the traits that the connector has is the ability to, well, they'll verbally process and will <laughs> speak out loud to get clear with thought. So their way of getting really clear on the things that they need to do is by, is by processing verbally, whereas a crusader is very internal and very logical and very analytical. So when, when Em and I work together, we'll often just sit down and I'll just say, Em, go for it. Whatever's in your mind, just kind of get it out. And Em will just process verbally and just say what she needs to say. And I'll just sit there and just map it all out in a, in a, in a Google Doc in a really logical bullet point order and I'll just let M flow and I'll flow and make it into a bit of a system and structure and even just just little insights like that as to how to communicate how to work together it makes a huge difference this sounds like something that a lot of uh fortune 500 companies should bring in to make sure their employees get all get on the same page and work well together as a team yeah, well, in actual fact, we have um, we have uh, so if we if you see PH360 is the engine that we use to assess 
and quantify all of the different data points that we collect on an individual. Um, we The app-based technology that we use is called Shea. So Shea stands for Smart Health Assistant Experience. And we've got different arms of Shea based on exactly what you were saying there. So one of the things we've got, which is why Em and I have come together to uh, to work on these kind of things, one of the, one of the avenues we have is uh, Shea Fit. So Shea Fit is the conversation of, going into gyms and helping gym owners and managers understand each unique member so you can create a personalized experience that makes the members want to come back for more. Because if you've got the connector who's seeking oxytocin and wants lots of connections and wants things to be visually aesthetically pleasing, then it's a very different experience in a gym for a person like that than it is for the crusader who wants all the data, all the logic, all of the science, who wants to wear the heart rate monitors and see the heart rate monitor on the screen. It's a very different gym experience. So that's Shea Fit. And then Shea Wellness is exactly what you were saying there, where we will go into the companies and we will sit down with the HR teams and we will sit down with the CEOs and say, right, we've got these different biologies in the room with different natural strengths, different neurotransmitters, different genetic profiles. And based on epigenetics, this is the thing. The workplace is an environment. So we often think when it comes to health, that health is just about exercise and nutrition, but it's the whole environment. And I say this to the gym owners. We say this to the CEOs in, in companies. The environment you create in the gym, the environment you create in the office is actually contributing to switching on and off good genes. So when you speak to someone in the right way, that's right for their brain. When you when you support them in a way that's right for their natural strengths, when you put them in a job role that matches their natural biology, we're actually contributing to the health. And I think that's a really important message. Absolutely agreed. And we're really big on that in terms of uh, some of our clients are, you know, in industries where it's challenging because it doesn't really match up like the hours required within their jobs, for example, really doesn't match up with their biology and they can feel that dissonance. But then even then there are always some choices and some changes that can be made to help everybody thrive. Now, with that said, what are the main modes of measure that PH360 uses to avoid the subjective questionnaire style of information gathering? Awesome. So we use a combination of uh, anthropometric measures, so measuring the outside of the body, and combine that with, a, with an extensive medical questionnaire. So it takes about 20 minutes uh, to go through the measurements and then about another 20 minutes to go through the questionnaire. So probably about 40 minutes in total to get through it all, uh, which is, you know, for, for a non-invasive assessment with this level of accuracy is pretty quick. Uh, and the idea is what we've actually done is uh, we, we mapped over 20,000 case studies looking at genetic swabs, bloods, e even EEG scans of the brain, and cross-correlated that to anthropometric markers. So looking at length of jaw, uh, the size and shape of the skull, uh, the thickness of the knees, the thickness of the neck, uh, and then some of your more common markers like your height, your weight, your waist-to-hip ratios, uh, the thickness of your ankles, your calves. So there's these different measures. And the reason why we take measures is because the skeleton actually tells the story of the DNA. And this is where, you know, gene testing, gene testing, as we've mentioned, it can be fantastic, but it's not the complete picture. What we're actually looking at here is the, the end point of phenotypic expression. So 18 onwards, we're looking at measuring the skeleton because that gives us an indication of number one, embryological development. And that sounds really crazy that we can actually, you know, measure the the bones of a human being and actually understand what happened in in utero 
but a really classic example that that's sitting out there in the literature is um, the ring finger to index finger marker. So when you look at your uh, your ratio of uh, your ring finger to index finger, if you've got a longer ring finger than index finger, that's actually a sign of increased testosterone in utero. So in the womb, you've actually been exposed to more testosterone. So you can look at your finger length right now, and that will give you an indication of what happened all the way back in, in your development. So, and what's fascinating is in the research, if you're a male and you've got a longer ring finger than index finger on your right hand, you'll actually have more children statistically be more competitive and more aggressive. Everyone's shaking their hands now. Yeah, Freya's over here laughing because we're looking at my fingers and my ring finger is significantly longer, um, but there are zero children coming out of this man. (laughs) (laughs) It'll be a cool party trick for people. Yeah, it is a very cool party trick when you start looking at that kind of thing. And the party trick becomes um, a little bit more profound when you start to layer these markers up because that's just one marker. And we look at about 10,000 different data points when we collect all of this information. Uh, But again, like a lot of the stuff that's out there in the literature right now, you'll see in disease. So you'll see people that are taller, for example, will have a higher risk of certain types of cancers, such as colorectal cancer. Uh, you'll see people that are shorter will have an increased risk of uh, dyslipidemia and high blood pressure. You'll see people with a thick neck and a thick wrist, even with a, with a normal waist to hip ratio, have an increased risk of cardiovascular disease and blood pressure. Short femurs and long trunk. If you've got a shorter femur and a longer trunk by ratio, that's a sign of higher testosterone. So there's all of these different markers that you can, these biomarkers that you can look at on the outside of the body that tells the story of not only our genes, but how our genes have expressed in the environment around us. So this is essentially what we're measuring, which makes it super non-invasive and very, very accurate to the individual based on their, not only their, their, their development, but how they're expressing in this current moment. And I think that's the, that's the real key to this. And what are these six major types? You've already touched on two of them. But outside of that, what are the other four that you guys have distilled down? Cool. So the six major types, we base off uh, the morphology. So we base this off the measurements of the body. Obviously, it's a big disclaimer alert. It's worth mentioning we can't categorize the whole population of the planet into six types. Everyone is completely unique. But the foundational layer to make the the, the teachings of what we do uh, easily digestible we talk about the six major types and this is based off your body morphology so this is based off embryological development and the size shape and structure of your your skeletal system so we have the crusader who we've already spoken about so the crusader is the uh, what we call the ectomeso combination so if you look at somatotypology when we used to look at the ectomorph the mesomorph and the endomorph we're actually looking at similar correlations to that but we're not taking it from the old way of looking at somatotypes. So the old way of looking at somatotypes, just as a little little tangent, is we used to say, you know, we'd, we'd base it off body composition. So we'd say the ectomorph was the skinny one that couldn't put muscle on. The mesomorph was the muscly one that put, you know, would go to the gym and just bulk up really quickly. And the endomorph was the one that held a little bit more fat tissue and found it hard to lose weight. Now, while that might be true to a degree, what kind of happened was we, you know, and, and it's really interesting when you follow the kind of um, the transition over the years from kind of genes to lifestyle, what happened was over the years, we, we saw some other types, you see it in sports, in the sports science world, in the Olympics, it's quite, it's, it's there in plain sight, you look at the shot putter, the shot putter has a very particular morphology that makes them very good at being able to throw a heavy weight very far. So short levers, you know, thicker limbs, 
huge cross-sectional area, muscle tissue, et cetera, et cetera. The marathon runner has a very particular body shape that makes them really good with marathon running. But what happened over the years was because we were basing it off body composition alone, people would then say, yeah, well, I'm an ectomorph, but I, I go to the gym, I lift weights, I put muscle on, and I turn into a mesomorph. Or I used to be an endomorph, but I sorted my lifestyle out and I lost weight, and now I'm actually a mesomorph because I'm more muscly, et cetera, et cetera. So the reason why I'm telling you this is because we, we kind of lost our way a little bit as we moved away from this idea of genes dictating everything to like, it's more about lifestyle. It's not about the gene. We kind of lost the somatotypes in the mix somewhere. And in actual fact, somatotypology is grounded on embryology, not on body composition alone. So the reason why an ectomorph is an ectomorph is because they have more development in their ectoderm layer of the embryo, which is all around the brain, skin, and central nervous system organ development. So this is why you get a body shape that has less muscle, that has less, has less fat tissue, and is more dominant through the nervous system and the sensory organs. A mesomorph is a mesomorph because they get more development in the mesoderm layer, which is all of the movement-based organs. So it's the heart, it's the connective tissue, it's the adrenal glands, the kidneys, the sex organs, testosterones. It's all of the organs and the development to do with movement. Whilst the endoderm, the endoderm is more to do with your metabolic tissues and your digestion. So it's the GI tract, it's the thyroid, it's the liver, it's the pancreas. So the point I'm making here is somatotypology isn't based on body composition. Yes, it has a correlation, but it's actually based on embryological development. And this actually goes all the way back to the genes that are passed down from mum and dad and the environment that you're exposed to whilst in the womb. So we're looking at measurements of the body to map back to embryological development in genes and this is giving us an idea of these different body types so a little bit of a side note but you see i think it's important to understand how we're actually getting to the point that we're getting to when it comes to understanding the size shape and structures of bodies uh, and then from that this is how we get our six types so we've got the the pure ectomorph which we call the sensor and again that's for we call them the sensor because they're very sensitive through the brain skin uh, through the sensory organs because of that ectodermic influence the crusader is the ectomeso, so they've got a combination of ectodermic dominance and mesodermic dominance in their development. So these are the guys that are high dopamine drive. You'll see them on the Tour de France circuit. You'll see them in Wall Street, as we mentioned before. Uh, they, you know, they're very focused, very driven, great endurance, both physically and mentally. We've got the pure mesomorph, who we call the activator. And the reason why the activator is called the activator is because they're very high in testosterone high in adrenaline and they seek risk they seek change they seek competition uh, and again this links to that development of their body shape and structure through that mesodermic layer of the embryo then we have m who's the connector so the connector is the meso endo combination so high in oxytocin visual processor great with people very fun we call them the social glue of, of um, any situation they keep everybody together then we have the guardian so the guardian is the pure endomorph now the endomorph, everything here is to do with conservation, it's metabolism, and the hormone associated with the development here is prolactin. And prolactin, apart from being a breast milk producing hormone, is a very selfless hormone. Prolactin is the hormone that makes you, when breastfeeding, go, I'm going to give you all of my nutrients, I'm going to give all of my nutrients to this child, and the only thing I want back in return is vomit and poo and crying, and I'm going to clean all of that up, I'm going to deal with that mess. And then I'm going to feed you again. It is complete selflessness. 
And this is why you see the endomorphs with these bigger frames, the thicker necks, the thicker wrists, the ability to conserve more fat tissue. You, you see these structures, these bodies, and we always say structure determines function. The function of these bodies is to protect conserve energy so they can protect the community and tribe around them. They're a very, very strong morphology. And it, I feel like this is a message that we need to, in particular in the fitness industry, get out there more so. So that's the uh, what we call the guardian. That's the protector. Then we have the diplomat for the final one. The diplomat is the uh, endo-ecto combination. So these guys are governed by serotonin. They are pleasure seekers. They like to take things on their terms. So it's all about having lots of time and space to make decisions on their terms. And you can see how if a diplomat and an activator get together, the activator wants to jump in head first, do first, think later, take action, take risk. Whereas the diplomat is very risk averse and needs to make decisions in their time because they're very considered thinkers. So it gets really interesting when it comes to communication, uh, understanding natural strengths, and also understanding exercise, nutrition, um, disease predispositions, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a lot of avenues you can go down when you wear the lens um, of understanding how bodies are created. Yeah, that is super interesting. It's really funny. Um, <clears throat> you know, we're not we're not speaking over here when, when you are. And so Freya just writes down, I am just a nervous system. You are all the strong things. Ha ha ha. Which is, yeah. which is pretty, pretty much on point. We've always said that though. <laughs> yeah. And so I just wanted to kind of elaborate a little bit onto that one. So it, it speaks to me a little bit. When I was uh, when I was a kid, I was a bit of a, a chunky fellow, I guess you could say. Carried a little bit of uh, extra body fat. And so when I was younger, I'm like, well, I'm an endomorph. It's just kind of the way it is. And then as I went through puberty and then became more active and then inevitably started, you know, looking at my nutrition as I became an adult and all that kind of stuff, like things just gradually changed. And now if you looked at me or whatever, everyone just say, well, clearly you're, you're a mesomorph, right? Like that's just who you are. That's what you've always been, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, one of the questions I wanted to ask was over time, do you do remeasures and do you recommend that people apply new changes? Do the types change? How, do, how does that work? Yeah. So in terms of your type changing, you're not really going to change type because when you measure this properly, when you start looking at skeletal structure, the thickness of your wrist, irrespective of how much food you eat or how much uh, weightlifting you do, isn't really going to change. You may move on our wheel. We've got uh, every five degrees is a different kind of morphology. So you may move 20 degrees over your lifetime. So if you're on the cusp of, let's say, ecto to ecto meso to meso if you're on that cusp you you may you may shift you know into one category but from from the ecto meso into the meso but to keep it really simple you're never going to go from a mesomorph to an endomorph irrespective of lifestyle because the 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 environment needed in development to create an endomorphic structure with the thick neck with the with the organ development with the bone development uh, you, you you just you could never create that through epigenetics. You could never create that through manipulating the genes and the environments to such a degree that would create that type of body. So as an example, mesomorphs, male mesomorphs will cut off at around about five foot 10, five foot 11. Uh, you don't get tall mesomorphs. And this is why people look at Dwayne Johnson, the rock and will say, Oh, he's a mesomorph because he's super muscly, but you do not get mesomorphs that are that big. The guy's six foot, four or five or whatever he is he's got these he's got pacific he's got islander genes he's got the thick wrist he's got the thick neck he's got this capacity to hold a huge amount of muscle tissue and weight you don't get mesos that big the reason why you don't get that mesos that big is because 
mesomorphs are developed in higher environments of testosterone. So testosterone, especially in early adolescence, will stunt the growth of the femur, meaning that you'll have a shorter femur and a longer trunk, which is why you only see, especially in our data set, you'll only see mesomorphs cap out around about 5'11". After that, uh, they're going to sit into a different category. So the short answer is no, you, you won't change type. However, we do remeasure you every four to six weeks because we're not only looking at your skeletal structure, we're looking at the where you, where you distribute fat, for example. So we'll look at your body composition. We'll look at your symptomology. So we'll look at disease markers. We'll look at your skin. So are you getting dry skin? Are you getting dark circles under your eyes? Do you have high blood pressure? Because all of these things are phenotypic expressions. So the genotype, again, is the blueprint, but your phenotype is how your genes have expressed based on the environment. So this is the amazing thing about what we're doing in PH360. It's phenotype quantification. So if your blood pressure increases, you now have a different phenotype. If you get dark circles under your eyes, you now have a different phenotype. If you get flaky skin, if you get an infection, you now have a different phenotype. So while your structure is the same, your expression will change. And it even goes further than just on your body. We also look at the environment outside. So right now I'm in LA. And I live in Australia. When I fly back to Australia, we're going to be in a different season, different time zone. So we take that into consideration too. So as your body changes, as the environment around you changes, we remeasure that and we, we track that. And that will actually change your food recommendations, some of your lifestyle recommendations in real time, which is really, really cool. And I think just to finish this off, this is a really important point that I really want to guess, get across to everyone listening is that not only is it that we're all different and every single in the, you know, unique person on the planet has different needs, but you're also different at different stages in your life. Who you are right now is completely different to who you're going to be in five years from now, who you're going to be tomorrow. So we've got to track that. And if, you, if you're becoming dogmatic and fixed on a one-size-fits-all diet, let's say the paleo diet worked for you five years ago and you've been following the paleo diet ever since and all of a sudden now you're getting some symptoms and it's not quite feeling right, but you're continuing to follow it because it worked for you five years ago, you've got to realize that you're actually a different person five years later. So you may need a different diet. Great. I'm glad you touched on that and uh, that you guys include measures for that because we speak to clients about that all the time. It's like what works for you on the days you're high stress will be different than what works for you on the days that you're low stress. And I know a lot of certain uh, personality types will lend themselves to wanting to set a structure and then just hammer home that same, those same habits and the exact same schedule through and through year in, year out. And then they get frustrated that it's no longer quote unquote working, but it's simply because they haven't evolved their habits to reflect what their system actually needs. I always joke that I actually have far fewer uh, pseudo allergies or like immune reactions when I'm in a place like California. And it's not untrue. <laughs> as soon as I'm there, I'm like, oh, guess what? I don't react to avocado anymore. But it does take a bit of experimenting. So it's nice that you guys are creating systemic measures and rechecking like every four to six weeks to help people really hone in. With that said, Emma, how are you guys working on applying this in group fitness? Because group training is challenging. Everyone is ordinarily expected to do more or less the same thing, but we know that not all humans can train the same way. So how is it that this is being translated in that environment? Yeah, it's been um, really interesting. Since I met Kyle and other people working with PH360 a couple of years ago, it really changed, as Kyle said earlier, my lens. Um, and so as soon as I had this lens put upon my eyes, 
um, as a someone been working in group fitness management and mentorship for the last 11 years, it really changed the game for me. It meant that I always knew that one size didn't fit all when it came to coaching. I always understood that everybody was different, but there was no real uh, equation to understand why one person would respond to that boot camp master, someone drilling somebody in the face and telling them three more, like shouting at them. Um, and compared to the, you know, the person that was always hanging out in your back row and, and isn't willing to step forward and doesn't want to be shouted out in that way. There was no real way of recognizing those people. You just had to kind of work it out slowly or you win some, you lose some. And unfortunately that's not the way I want to teach. And nor does that, is that the way I want to teach people how to teach? Um, so we've really been working on coming up with ways to educate group fitness instructors to be able to scan the room as we do as group fitness instructors already but try and start to recognize some of these morphologies in people so that we have a greater understanding on how they'd want to be coached how they want to be communicated with how they want to be recognized in that space so that we can give them what they biologically need and that's the fascinating part right is that when we're coaching people the way they need to be coached yes they're understanding you better yes they're having a better time but what's even more fascinating is that by doing this by creating this environment through the way that we're interacting with them we're actually changing their genetic expression we're actually making them healthier people so it's um, a really rewarding feeling to know that now when I educate instructors to do this or I'm doing it myself in my classes I'm creating an environment for my participants that is making them healthier it's turning their good genes on and could be preventing chronic disease and for me that's an incredible feeling Anytime that you can affect somebody's long-term health like that, that's amazing. So I think this is this is all this has been a great conversation so far, and I think this kind of segues us nicely into uh, something that we discussed the other day, which is uh, chronobiology or chrono chronotypes. Um, and I think we already spoke a little bit about you know people who train in the morning, people who train in the evening, and how some people just feel like crap in the morning when they train, and that might actually be true. So can you guys go a little bit into chronobiology and the different chronotypes? Absolutely. So. Again, it's, it's a very new area of research and, and there's a lot more coming out, which is great to see. And we've incorporated it into PH360 now for the last five years. And I think the importance of it only really came to light in the last few years when we kept getting feedback from our health, medical and fitness professionals that have been through our course to say that they were getting these incredible results by getting the timing right with the different types of uh, the, the, what we call the health types that we have. So yeah, it's been a it's been a really interesting journey because we, I mean, obviously we knew it was important, but we 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 almost just stumbled upon just how much of an influence it was making through the feedback from our coaches. So, if you look at the six types, the Crusader and Activator will be your classic early bird, whereas your Guardian and Diplomat will be more of your Night Owl, and then you've got your Connector and Sensor, which will kind of sit in the middle. So, right now, fitness work. Life. Life is very much built on an early bird's clock. It's get up early, you know, get stuff done, get to the gym, do your workout, get to the office, do your to-do list. And that's your, your measure of success is how hard you grind. And it's built on an early bird's clock. Now, what we know is through the development of the body and uh, in the different types from what we've been able to quantify, that type of living isn't right for everyone. So when you look at circadian rhythms, when you look at the 24-hour light dark cycle, we know that different organs and different hormones are secreted at different times of the day based on uh, the natural biorhythms of the body. So as a, as a really easy example, when you wake up in the morning, the sun rises, you get an increase in cortisol, 
we get an increase in blood sugar. It gets us ready for the day. It increases our metabolism and off we go. When the sun sets at nighttime, we get an increase in melatonin. Our body works on these natural rhythms. So there's the SCN. So your SCN is your master clock and that regulates your 24 hour light dark cycle. But then you've got peripheral clocks in all of your organs that dictate, uh, you know, when we should be eating food. Uh, and they also work on rhythms as well. So this is why, for example, if you continue to eat food at, you know, let's say 7am every single morning, and you do that for a couple of weeks, every day, then from there, there onwards at 7am, you'll start getting cravings of food, your body will start producing digestive enzymes, because the body's really clever, it works on these rhythms to make processes easier. Uh, when it comes to digesting food, et cetera, et cetera. So what we know is different health types actually work on different clocks because they've got different sensitivities in organs. They've got different disease predispositions. So what we've been able to do through PH360 is look at where these predispositions lie, look at the 24-hour circadian rhythms, and then map across the timing of food, timing of exercise, even stress responses throughout the day to make sure it actually goes with the natural biorhythms of each each of these types. So to give you a really easy example of that, the activator is a natural early bird. So they want to jump out of bed in the morning, they'll get a huge burst of stress hormones. Their physiology is actually very good at converting those stress hormones, converting sugars, and putting that into action straight away. So with the activators, we can get them exercising straight away. We can we can ride the catecholamines. We can we can use that inertia of those stress hormones to to let them get out there and be the energizer bunnies that need to be and you know and live like an early bird. Whereas a guardian, we know that guardians, for example, they've got there's more risk of metabolic syndrome. There's more risk of type two diabetes in these types. So some of the things that we look at doing there, and we know that chronobiologically they're naturally night owls. So one of the, some of the things we look at doing is reducing stress in the morning. So they shouldn't be bursting out of bed. They should actually be in an alpha brainwave state which calms the nervous system down, brings them into a more parasympathetic state, doesn't rise blood, blood sugar levels at a time where we know human beings are more insulin resistant. So, you, so between 6 a.m. and 10 a.m. in the morning and 6 p.m. and 10 p.m. at night, human beings are naturally more insulin resistant. So if you've got a body type or a morphology that has a higher predisposition to diabetes, those two times a day, are going to be very important for you to manage your A, your stress levels, and B, your food intake and the type of food that you should be eating. So this is where for a guardian, when we look at the, the a natural meal plan or a meal strategy for a guardian, we give them a pretty solid breakfast in the morning around about eight o'clock, nine o'clock, and then they'll have lunch as their biggest meal of the day. So they'll get the majority of the calories in at lunch. And then nighttime, we'll actually have them on a vegetarian diet. They'll either have just veggies or they'll do soups or broths. So it's kind of like a little bit of intermittent fasting. So we're actually positioning the macronutrients, the calories, the types of foods based on their organ sensitivities, based on their predispositions and based on the 24-hour circadian rhythms. Whereas reducing carbohydrates at nighttime for a crusader, for example, who's very nervous system dominant, wouldn't actually be a good idea because we actually know crusaders don't have a high risk of, uh, of diabetes, for example. They tolerate carbohydrates very, very well. The Crusaders, that really frustrating marathon runner type body that can eat the cookies, chips, and pizzas and seem to not put any weight on. And I'm not recommending they do that, by the way, but we just know that it's the type of body that can burn through carbohydrates pretty well. So it's not as much of an issue giving those guys carbohydrates at 7 o'clock at night because they'll absorb them. It'll actually help them with the nervous system and it'll actually help them sleep. So... 
the point I'm making here is like, if we look at chronobiology with food, we've got the same food source, carbohydrates, two different bodies with two different chronotypes, two different predispositions having a completely different effect. Carbohydrates is calming for the nervous system in one and is actually uh, putting strain on the pancreas in another, if that makes sense. Absolutely makes sense. What sort of timing, both for workout and for food, works for both of you, given that you guys are different types? Well, I'm, I'm pretty lucky. I feel like I always knew that I was a bit of a Duracell bunny, um, but it, it, it worked. It turns out that it was true. And um, luckily working in group fitness, and we see a lot of connectors working in group fitness, we are the most robust of all the health types when it comes to being able to exercise multiple times throughout the day um, and not get too worn down or not too fatigued. So I'm pretty lucky like that. So um, I was obviously moving into a career that I was innately meant to be in because I am able to do three workouts a day and not get crazy adrenal fatigue, et cetera, where you'd see that in other types. So mm. I was just lucky in that respect. I didn't have to shift or change anything in my exercise regime too much. Uh, and then the same with me with food. I think innately I was doing everything pretty right in the terms of my chronobiology as Kyle said, I'm neither particularly early board or night. I can sit between the two. What do you call it the day? A punctual pigeon. Yeah. I, I don't mind that that at all. Because and I, I've always felt that as well that I can sleep in a little bit later. I'll naturally wake up at about seven a.m. But I do have a lot of energy, and I'll tend to train around then as well. And then I can stay up pretty late and be productive at night as well. So I feel pretty blessed with my um, with my yeah. health type being made out to just kind of do what I want. <laughs> Yeah, Em's, Em's got, she's got a lucky one. And I, I don't mean that in a, in a negative way in terms of, but what we're finding is it's the right side of the wheel that are having a really hard time right now yeah. because the right side of the wheel, the guardians and diplomats are a natural night owls. So if you look at their day, their day should be, you know, sleep until 7, 8 a.m., start stress-free. So don't do the whole eat your frogs thing of, you know, taking on your big scary tasks at the start of the day. That's leave that for the early birds. Actually start off the day slow, have a cup of tea, delay breakfast, do your easy work in the morning and then build your momentum up to the afternoon. And then once you get to the afternoon, then start picking up your intensity and then work through. The meal structure for the right side of the wheel, as I've said, is more like a, it's a delayed breakfast, big lunch, smaller, smaller dinner. Um, so it's more, you'll see more of the fasting or the intermittent fasting coming through. It's not the five meals a day of high protein. So the point I want to make here is the right side of the wheel right now are, are being forced into an early bird way of living because most of the people in Western culture are early birds. It's all the, the ectomorphic dominant types of bodies or the mesomorphic dominant types of body type. Yeah, in the fitness industry <laughs> and as CEOs. So they're dictating the culture. Of, of everyone being early birds and this is where if, if we're being honest this is where we've seen the biggest results through ph360 is is on the right side of the wheel is when we get the timing of food right for the diplomats and guardians the timing of exercise right for the diplomats and guardians and just allow them to have permission as i entered at the start today give them that permission slip to know that it's not lazy to have a sleep in to start your day slow and it's actually going to have a huge impact and we've seen incredible results on just getting exercise timing right, not changing anything else in a person's program, just getting them to stop training in the morning, stop stressing the body in the morning and putting that stress in the afternoon and watching the results go through the roof after years of plateau just by getting the timing right. It's just, it's so, so powerful. It's amazing to watch. Like I've had clients and friends that are sitting on the right side of the wheel and just to like give them that permission slip and say that you are allowed to sleep in, you can take it easy feels odd at first because they've been conditioned quite a lot of the time, especially if you've got um, quite an entrepreneurial diplomat 
or guardian that really, really wants to hustle, wants to get up early, feels that they should, been told for the past 30 years that that's exactly what they should be doing. It's hard to shift that behavior. But if you can enable and assist that behavior, then it's, as Kyle said, where we see the biggest results, because finally, they're working in tune with their body, they're able to kind of have that weight lifted off their shoulders, or like, have that feeling of just big sigh of relief that they can just work and exercise and eat as their body intended. And then we see these massive shifts in results in health. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I can imagine some of the changes because there are clearly people out there who are, like you said, they're getting up early and they're just draining themselves by, by noon, they're just ready to pass out because they're so smoked from everything they've already done. And clearly it's just the societal norms are just not meant for them. Um, and I think that's a big thing, you know, for, again, for a lot of bigger companies and stuff, I think Google's already all over this and kind of letting their employees kind of work whatever hours work best for them. But I think a lot of companies would go a long way to saying, Hey, you can start between this hour and this hour. If you start at this hour, you have to end at this hour, but extending those hours for people would be a great step in the right direction. But with that being said, what are some of the main limitations that you guys are still working on improving with uh, PH360? So one of the big things that we're looking at trying to do right now is in, in the tech space is um, link more of the wearable technology. And so we can start to get a lot more of the objective uh, real-time information. So using things like HRV, so we can actually track people's autonomic nervous system response and look at whether, whether they're in a sympathetic or parasympathetic state and track some of those markers in real time against what the recommendations are through PH360. So that's the next phase of, of development for us is that how we can look to do that because we really want to be able to, well, I mean, right now we, we do, we speak to them in a, in a language that's right for them because obviously we know that it, it doesn't matter how good the program is. It doesn't matter how good the exercise program is, how right it is for your body, how good the nutrition program is, you know, how it's delivered with all the recipes and things like that. If we can't get the, the motivation and adherence factor part right, then, you know, people aren't going to follow it. So right now we're doing a great job with with the app. That's what the app is for. The, apps, the app speaks to you in a language that's right for you. It sends you push notifications with recipe suggestions based on your individual food list. And uh, it has chronobiology clocks that tell you exactly when you should exercise and exactly when you should eat and things like that. And the next phase of that is really just upping that level of uh, uh, machine learning and artificial intelligence to bring in the, the wearable technology so we can actually quantify exactly how your body's responding in real time and then provide more recommendations based on that learning that it creates from your profile. I think that's what we're trying to do with ShayFit, right? Is that if we can implement this technology into a health club or boutique facility, um, we can take their experience to the next level. And that's a lot of what we've been talking about recently, which is that, you know, we feel like we have the algorithm in creating success for a, a fitness facility, a boutique facility, um, and, and understanding that it isn't just the product, it's the whole end-to-end -end member experience. But to uh, label a facility to take that to the next level, we're looking at implementing this technology so that their members know what time of day they should be training, what, what they should be having as their post-workout smoothie, what kind of classes resonate with their biology so that um, no longer is it just this immersive, incredible experience in this boutique world that we're in, but we can now take it to the next level of personalization so that the guesswork's taken away, right? If they're going to the gym and they're learning this stuff about themselves, then it means they'll take that information home to their partner and to their relationships and to their workspace. So if we can educate through this technology, through ShayFit and their, and their gym, then it should spread out through the rest of their lives and we can make them healthier, more amazing humans. Yeah. We like that. Amazing humans in creation. <laughs> exactly. 
Now for each of you, we have a few uh, wrap up questions. What is the most impactful book you've each read in the last year? Ooh, I would say there's an incredible book called The Evolutionary Glitch by Dr. Alberto Garoli. So I'm a bit biased on this one because Dr. Alberto Garoli is one of our chief medical research officers. He helped create the PH360 engine, but it's a very good book because it goes into the ego or the shadow side of each of the different types that we've spoken about. So for example, the Crusader in balance is very driven, is very focused. It has this high dopamine drive and it's very healthy for them to be chasing this big mission and having this big vision and having a great sense of purpose. Yet the shadow side of that, every strength has a weakness that's on the other side and every weakness can be turned into a strength. But the shadow side of that is it can be complete selfishness. It can be narcissism. It can be all of these, you know, unhealthy traits that aren't aren't so good. And I think this is the the deeper level of the conversation with PH360 is when we understand our natural essence and our, and our you know our, our nature and 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 our, our natural biology. It's about then creating an environment that creates alignment with that to 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 switch those good genes on in living good health. However, we've got to be careful that we don't fall into the trap again it's that balance between genes and environment it's that balance between you know the genes setting up the blueprint but then how much of the 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 nurture can come into play and actually and actually have an influence so what we you know what we often talk about in our coaching courses is transcending your health type so if you are a crusader and you know that you have these genetic predispositions and these hormones that create a biology of behavior that makes you more focused but has tendencies to make you more selfish and narcissistic you've got to be aware of that and this is where the power is in the awareness. So rather than um, using it as an excuse and saying, oh, well, I'm being selfish because of my high dopamine and that's just who I am. So and continue to do that, you can still with choice and awareness choose to transcend that and know that while you have those tendencies, you don't always have to go that way. Another example would be the diplomat. We know the diplomat needs time and space to consider things and they 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 are great thinkers but sometimes the shadow side of that can turn into rumination. So they'll go into analysis paralysis. They'll overthink things. There's always another if then, but else. So then they never take action on the decisions. And sometimes they can, they can sit comfortable in that and say, well, I'm just doing that diplomat thing. I'm just taking time to consider, but they need to learn to actually take action. So the evolutionary glitch is a great book that talks about the, um, the psychosocial behavioral traits of these different types and the ego side and how you can actually learn to balance that out. And I think it's a great book if you're into behave, human behavior, habit formation, uh, personal development, that kind of thing. Yeah, I'm totally in agreement with that book because it's incredible. And I like the way it kind of merges my world a little bit as well, because for anyone that knows me, I'll, I'll use this term. I'm a little bit woo-woo and um, always have been, always will be, and I'll always continue to be. And so I love the way that that book kind of merges those worlds and the fact that it it's very science-based. Dr. Alberto is all science, but he does talk to you at the ego and how we can kind of transcend maybe these parts of ourselves that we thought um, were negative and it kind of spins it and just shows it as a bit of a mask to transcend and grow through. So it's really cool. I was racking my brains then of, of books. Um, I feel like Kyle definitely stole one of the ones I would have said. Um, <laughs> Two, I've thought of, I'll go my woo-woo one first because I've reread this a thousand times and I read it again this year and that's The Celestine Prophecy. It's one of my favorite books of all time. And um, I love the journey that it takes you on on this human evolution that we're on spiritually. But really it sits 
the age that we're in right now and, and how we're transforming as humans and the way that we connect and um, the way that we're growing. And that to me is always fascinating. And it, that is my, my, my life's journey anyway, is, is, is looking into that in, in deeper ways of how I can grow and learn and become a better human. But this one will surprise you, but Sapiens was another really mm. incredible book this year for me, because as much as, um, as I am this connector and I'm super woo woo and I love all the jazz hands, I have got this strong ecto brain influence in my morphology as well. And I do love all the science and the nerding out. Um, sometimes I just get a little bit distracted and I love Sapiens because I loved learning about all of this stuff and, and the roots of it of how we actually came to be about on this planet and understanding what traits and, and what behaviors are still being pulled through even from back from when time began. So that was a really fascinating book for me. The, the evolutionary glitch is definitely one I'm going to have to get my hands on. That sounds really, really interesting and, and right up my alley for sure. Now with the two of you, we're going to ask you both what your non-negotiable self-care tool or habit is. And so maybe this was something that PH360 helped you realize? Mine is my morning routine for sure. It got it, it is a non-negotiable. It changes and molds when I'm traveling because of time zones and different commitments, but it is one of those things that I try and definitely hit the 80-20 rule on at least um, because it's so important for me to set my day up right. And I think PH360 definitely re reconfirmed this for me because I think it's important for all health types to have um the things that they need to do every day as non-negotiable set in, um, in one way or another. And that would be different for all of them. But for me, my morning routine is super important so that I don't get caught up in the emails and the technology of my day. So I keep my phone on airplane mode, um, until I've got up, I oil pull. And if you've never heard of that, it's the method where I put coconut oil in my mouth for like 20 minutes and swash it around. You can, you can look up all the incredible health benefits. I meditate for at least 10 minutes in the morning. Um, and then only then when I've done those couple of things, um, and potentially even made myself a cup of tea and done some breathing or stretching, then I'll turn my phone off airplane mode so that I can start to get on with my day. And that's really, really important for me. And it's something definitely that has become a non-negotiable in my life. Yeah. Mine would be getting out in nature. And for me, it's, it might not be a regular thing because, you know, work gets very busy and I get in typical crusader fashion can get, get lost. I do need to be better. <laughs> I can get lost in, in educating health professionals and traveling the world and that kind of thing. But one thing I always do is uh, make sure that I spend time on the beach. I live on the beautiful Gold Coast in Australia and I actually purposely moved to the Gold Coast uh, around about three months ago because of PH360 actually, because it does say in my profile, my environment, I am better suited to coastal environments. And I know Freya was talking about before how she'll feel better in certain environments and even tolerate different foods in certain environments. And it really does make a difference. And yeah, for me, moving back near onto the Gold Coast where I'm, I'm, I live right next to the beach, I can just walk over to the beach every single day. I can get fresh air. I can sit out and look at the ocean and enjoy the, enjoy the sunshine. And for me, that is super important is to be near those types of environments and make sure that I spend time, even in my busiest of days, uh, to get to the beach and just ground in nature for sure. Fantastic. We both subscribe to uh, or ascribe to both of those things, the morning and the outside time. It's like the day just doesn't feel complete for either of us if we don't get outside. I, I just wish we had some sunny beaches here in Canada. <laughs> we do on the West Coast, which is why we spend a lot of time there. <laughs> Not in Toronto so much. Um, now, for both of you, if you had just a couple minutes with somebody, what one thing would you try and impart with them? To help them with their well-being so for me it would be just to be careful of falling into any kind of health nutrition lifestyle dogma i think the biggest thing you can do is just 
realize that there's no one size fits all answer. There's no, there's no magic bullet. And rather than keep looking outside for the answers for the next, you know, the next latest and greatest expert or the next quick fix pill or diet that's out there in the market, just take some time to connect with yourself because the answers actually sit within and just listening to your body and trying to figure out what is right for you rather than trying to follow your best friend or the, 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 the media or whatever it might be. I think that's the, that's the biggest thing. Um, Preach. Yeah. yeah. For me, I'm going to, I'm going to give you one of my most favorite quotes. It's a, a quote of um, one of my favorite quotes of me and my best friend, Alicia. And that's um, between stimulus and response as a space. And in that space is our power to choose our response and in our response lies our growth and our freedom. It's a Viktor Frankl quote. And that one is so important to me. And it's something I think we should impart on all people because we could just react with any stimulus that gets thrown our way and react in the way that we feel necessary to react. But what this platform has taught me, if, if nothing else, is that the way that they're going to respond isn't the way necessarily you want them to because they're not you. Everybody's different. And so if we can take that space, if we can take that time to actually just breathe and process what's happening, whether that's something bad, good, challenging, exciting, then we take that space to understand the person that stood in front of us, then we can respond in a way that they're going to understand and connect with. And I think that's the key to human connection is to taking that space and trying to understand the entire environment, the person in front of us, not just yourself and responding in a, a quick way that we deem necessary, but instead understanding the whole situation. Yeah, I, I love that so much. It's really just responding versus reacting. And it would just be such a better world in general if there was more of that. <laughs> so finally, guys, most important question here is, where can people find you guys and learn more about you? So if you are wanting to find out how you can have an assessment done through PH360, you can go to ph360.me. Otherwise, if you want to learn more about the education side of what we do, uh, you can find us over at education.ph360.me forward slash edu dash mastery theories it's a long one but that's the that's that one you can just slow that down and just play it back uh but yeah if you just search ph360.me or ph360 health professionals you can find more about the courses that we run and how you can be assessed yourself and we've also got an instagram page which is ph360hp for the health professionals and ph360 you'll find on there too um as for me my stuff that i'm doing in the um consultancy world for group fitness and boutique fitness is experienceageconsultancy.com um, and actually in the world of, of epigenetics and ph360 and corporate um, i also have a business partner and i run a website called onecorporatedesign.com i think you guys know alicia so um yeah we're on working on that project together as well so coming at it from all angles <laughs> yes and we definitely know alicia we had her on the podcast Oof, i don't know she was one of our first i believe and we get to go hang out in Thailand with her in a few weeks. I'm very jealous. <laughs> come, come crash Thailand. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know you guys are, I think you're currently in California. You were just here in Toronto. You're both from Australia. So, I mean, you guys have been all over the place. I'm pretty sure you're probably pretty tired, but uh, thank you both. Uh, thank you both so much for coming on the podcast today. Uh, I think we'll we'll cut it off right there. But uh, you guys go out, enjoy the California sun. Uh, tell tell the sun over there that we miss it, and hopefully we'll be back soon. And we hope that our paths will cross again soon. So thanks for coming by, and uh, we'll talk to you next time. Thank awesome. you so much. Thank you very much. Bye guys. We hope you enjoyed our conversation. 
To hear more, head on over to Stitcher or iTunes and subscribe to the Move Daily Health Podcast. And don't hesitate to leave us a review. Thanks for listening.